0: Welcome to the Family Life Church Podcast. We hope you're blessed and encouraged to share this with someone you know. Subscribe or visit thefamilylife.org for more information. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. 7, give honor to my pastor this morning, I appreciate him, his influence in my life. Give honor to you all, love you and appreciate you. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, we'll read through verse 39 and then we'll skip down to the 48th verse of the same chapter. When you're there, just say amen. 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 And one of the Pharisees desired him, him being Jesus, that Jesus would eat with him. Jesus went into the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment, she stood at his feet behind him. She began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and she kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden Jesus, saw this, he spake within himself, saying, This man, this Jesus, if he were a prophet... If he were really who people are saying that he is, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. Going down to verse 48, Jesus speaking to the woman says unto her, thy sins are forgiven. But they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? Or who is this that even forgives sins? That he's not just one who teaches with unique understanding. He's not just one who speaks with a peculiar authority, one that's greater than that of the scribes. But evidently, apparently, this Jesus, he lays claim passively to the right and to the authority to forgive people of their sins. Understand that what was happening here, from the perspective of the observers, it was a scandalous thing. Because only Yahweh, only the Old Testament God, held the right and the authority to forgive someone of their sins. So Jesus was essentially equating himself with God. He was laying claim to his divine nature. Yet he pays no mind to the cynics, the critics, the skeptics. And he looks at the woman and he says unto her, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Go in peace. And we could close the book, say amen, lock the doors, go home, take a nap, and just live on that for a little bit, couldn't we? Go in peace. Amen. Would you put your Bibles down and lift your hands and and love the Lord, our God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with everything that is within you, Lord. We bless your holy name today. God, we want to see your power manifest in this place, Lord. Let us not leave here unchanged, God. Let us not leave here not touched by your spirit, not filled by your word, Lord. I pray that you would reach, Lord, the one who is feeling especially unworthy today, God, that we have access to your presence by and through your blood, by and through your word, Lord, that your blood, it speaks a better word, Lord, that there may be an accuser of the brethren. That is roaming around, seeking whom he may devour, Lord. But I plead the blood of Jesus Christ this morning over my life, over my mind, over those in the sound of my voice, God, that we would take refuge and strength in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous, they run into it and they are saved, Lord. Let somebody be saved by your name. Let somebody be touched by your word. Let something happen in our souls and in our spirits, God. It's the spirit that quickens unto life. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you just lift your faith one more time and love the Lord? He can do something special for you today. He can bless you today. He can save you today. Amen, amen, amen. Before you're seated, one more time, turn to somebody, turn to the other side and say hello to someone you have not said hello to. Smile at them, love at them. The story it centers on a woman, notoriously sinful, a woman of ill repute and infamy. In a word, the author Luke he lets us know where she is from. She's from the city, and in a word, he lets us know who she was. That she was a sinner. She was a woman in the city which was a sinner. But beyond these two details, we are not given any information about the kind of person that she was prior to this moment, prior to this meeting with Jesus. That is, there's no backstory that's offered. Very little pretext is given to us. In fact, we don't even know her name. Like many characters presented to us in the Gospels, we're only given a couple of descriptive terms about her And nothing more. Like the man with the withered hand. In Mark chapter 3, all we know about him is that he was a man who had a withered hand. Or like the woman with the issue of blood who sought for a cure for some 12 years. Or like the man at the gate called Beautiful in Acts 3. She was like them in that all we know about her are a couple of general, vague details. Namely, that she was a woman in the city which was a sinner, which was a sinner. Why, though? Why don't we know more about her? After all, isn't context supposed to be everything? If so, then why is so little of it given to us? Or is it as simple as there being no real rationale, reason, or rhyme for it? I don't think that that's the case. It's just random. Could it be that the gospel writers didn't think that there was enough room to include such details about such characters that encountered Jesus during his earthly ministry? That could be true. But I simply want to suggest to us this morning, if for the sake of preaching, that a reason as to why we're given limited information as to the kind of person that this woman was prior to her encounter with Jesus is so that we can appreciate, so that we can appreciate And key in on what Jesus did in her life and at the same time anticipate and look forward to all that he was going to do in her life and in the future moments. In other words, it was more about her present and her future than it was her past sins and her past mistakes. Therefore we are given close to nothing concerning her past so as to not let her past and the weight of her sin overwhelm the story thus robbing God of the glory that he wanted to demonstrate in and through her life. Hey, glory. You see, now that she had seen her Savior, now that she had met her Messiah, her past, it really didn't matter anymore. Everything had changed. Nothing would be the same. She wouldn't be the same. To be sure, her past shame, it was a part of her story and what Jesus did in her life, but only in that it was information now. It was no longer identity. Glory. It was just information insofar that it was essential to the explanation of her testimony. Her past story. It was necessary to tell others about what Jesus had done in her life, but it did not define her anymore. Sin was no longer relevant to her reputation. It had no bearing on her present identity in Jesus or on her future in the kingdom of God. That old things were passed away. All things had become, if any man be in Christ, if any woman be in Christ, if any person be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are gone. All things All things, everything, new. She wasn't just substantially changed. She was new. She was a new creature in Christ Jesus. The moment that Jesus spoke those words over her, thy faith hath saved thee, or thy faith hath made thee whole, go in peace, or literally translated, go into peace. Go into the peace that new life in me now affords you. The moment that he spoke those words... A word of God can change everything. A word from Jesus, it can literally transform your life. She was new. She was new. Consider these questions with me, if you would. What if we gave people a chance to start over like Jesus did? What if we dropped the stone and instead drew a line in the sand like right. Jesus did. Right. Furthermore, what if we were given that chance? Perhaps by the person next to us. Come on. Further still, what if we gave ourselves that chance? Because oftentimes, we're the Pharisee who's seated at our own table. Wow. Wow. That's true. But I mean really, not just in theory, not just ideally, but actually. What if you were given a completely clean slate? A fresh start from yesterday's sin? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about being given another chance. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about being given a second chance. Because God is not the God of second chances. I bet you've never heard preachers say that before. God is not the God of second chances. God is the God of new. He is the God of all things new. The apostle John saw in his vision, he who was seated on a throne, who said, behold, look, see, I am making all things new. The prophet Jeremiah ironically wrote in the book of Lamentations that his mercies are new every single morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy tender mercies. And the God that they wrote about then and there, he is the same one that is here now today. And he wants to make everything about you new. He doesn't just want to substantially change your life, but he wants to completely transform your life and for his glory. He wants to make you new. He wants to make your marriage new. He wants to make your heart new. He wants to replace that stony heart with a heart of flesh, with a tender heart that can be touched by his spirit. He wants to make your mind new. He wants to make your mind new. He wants to make your mind new. He wants to make your your body new. You see, God makes. God is a maker. He's the maker of heaven and earth and all that is therein. And what he makes, he makes new. He is a creator. Everything that he makes, he makes new from scratch. You say, well, how do you know that the Lord, he wants to do these things in my life? How do I know that this isn't just some religious rhetoric? That's fair. I can only tell you what I believe, but I believe that the Lord wants to make you new because it is in the nature of Jesus Christ to bring life out of barrenness and to breathe life into brokenness. And you don't even have to believe me. I encourage you to go home and to read your Bible and to ask Sarah about barrenness. Ask Hannah about barrenness. Ask Rachel about barrenness. Ask Elizabeth about barrenness. I believe that the Lord wants to do a new work in your life because it is in the nature of Jesus to do new things. The prophet Isaiah, he declared, remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. In other words, forget those things which are behind. Behold, I will do a new thing, saith the Lord. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I'm talking about being made new. I'm talking about being given a new chance. And it's what the New Testament terms as being born again of water and of spirit. It's where everything in us, around us, and about us becomes new. Our tendencies, our desires, our dreams, our affections, our perspectives, our plans, everything is made new. And when this transformation happens, we aren't merely better versions of ourselves. Christianity, it's not about self-improvement. Christianity is about transformation under the glory of God. And that's what Paul was getting at in Romans 12 when he said, I beseech you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, according to your understanding of the love of God in Christ Jesus on the cross, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and to be not conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing By the rebirthing of your mind that you may learn to know what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. We learn to know the will of God so that we can bring honor and glory to God. Christianity, it is about transformation under the glory of God, under the glory of his praise. And that's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel today is that we don't have to do anything to earn this. But he enables us by his love and through his spirit to become who he already sees us to be. And that is new. That is born again of water and of spirit. Baptized in the name and the nature of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. With the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues as the spirit of God gives the utterance. And fruit that follows. That's what it is. To be born again. And those of us who know him. Those of us who have been born again. We are called To carry this same quality that Jesus demonstrated towards this woman in Luke 7. That is, we are called to see others as new. We're called to empower others to move on from their past mistakes and into their future identity in Jesus. That we have been given this ministry of reconciliation, the Apostle Paul said. We have been given this holy task, this holy responsibility, this holy commission, Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, after his crucifixion and resurrection, he gave his disciples what we know as the great commission. And in it, he says something rather controversial. He says, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now, was Jesus here giving the disciples... The apostles, the authority and the power to forgive people of their sins. No, we don't believe that he was because of what Romans 8 says, among other things. Romans 8 says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died, yea, rather that is risen. Again, that the right and the authority and the power to forgive people of their sins, it belongs to Jesus Christ and to him alone. And that's what Jesus was getting at when he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. He was revealing that he was really the only one who had the right to cast a stone. Because he was really the only one who was without sin. Therefore, Jesus is the only one who has the right and the authority to forgive people of their sin. That's right. But if Jesus was not here giving that authority and that right to the disciples by saying, whosoever sins you remit, they're remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they're retained unto them. Then what was he doing? He was giving us the holy responsibility in pointing people to what is the source of the forgiveness of their sins. Namely himself. Namely the cross. That's why he said, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me, that if you do the lifting, if you do the praising, if you do the praying, if you do the pointing, I will do the saving. I'll do the saving work. That it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That some plant, some water, and that's great, but it is God. It is Jesus who gives the increase. We don't have the right. We don't have the authority to forgive someone nor to damn them. That right and that authority, that prerogative. It belongs to Jesus and to Jesus alone, And because we have had Jesus revealed to us, we have this holy responsibility in revealing Jesus to others. Corinthians says that we have this treasure in earth and vessels. We have this holy spirit in earth and vessels. We're made of earth, in us. Now what do you typically do with a treasure you? Hide a treasure, right? That's what you're supposed to do. I don't know that any of us have found any buried treasures, but uh, you're supposed to keep treasures in secret places. Such is not the case in the kingdom of God. It's inverted according to God's economy. We are not called to hide this treasure, to hoard it, to keep it to ourselves. We, are, we have a holy responsibility to hold this treasure with open hands so that those who are walking by us might see its shimmer and its shine and come and inquire about this Jesus who changed us. We have a holy task. We have a holy responsibility. This woman with the alabaster box she's become a sort of banner in the sky. Someone we look to That is, we all, each of us, in some way, identify with her. And that is what is most profound about this story to me, is how it can uniquely relate to everyone. What it shows us is that even though our sins may not look the same, we are the same when we come to Jesus. That all have sinned and are come short. Presently, present tense, coming short of the glory of God, that on your best day, just like on your worst day, you are drastically falling short of the glory of God. I am drastically falling short of the glory of God. When I'm crossing all my T's and dotting all my I's and hitting every mark, setting new personal records, I am still yet drastically falling short of the glory of God, were it not for the grace of God. And so from the prostitute sinner to the proper sinner. This story about this woman in the city, which was a sinner, it reveals in us our fundamental need to be saved, to be rescued. Let me put it another way, that none of us come to Jesus more worthy than the other. That all of us come to Jesus the same, and that is together. All of us come to Jesus having the same merit, and that is having no merit at all. Listen to Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Look at those adjectives. But God who is rich, his mercy is rich, his love is great. Even when we were dead in sin, he hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved and he hath raised us up together and he hath made us to sit Together, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that none of us come to Jesus more worthy than the other. All of us come to Jesus the same, and that is together. We all came to him having no merit. I love what the prophet Isaiah says concerning Jesus is coming. He says that every valley shall be exalted. And every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked ways shall be made straight. And the rough places shall be made plain. And the glory of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ, shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. We come to him on equal ground. The cross, it is staked in even ground. And there is room at the cross for you Today, regardless of who you are, where you're from, how long you've been at this, this may be your first time in a Christian church, let alone an apostolic church, but we all come to Jesus the same, sinners in need of a Savior. And the good news today is that we have a Savior who is eager and wanting and willing to forgive us of all of our sins. There's a quote by a guy named Dallas Willard. I've used it here a few times. I'm going to use it again because I just love it, quite frankly. He says, we will never have the easy, unhesitating love of God that makes obedience to Jesus a natural response unless we are absolutely sure that it is good for us to be and to be who we are. This means that we must have no doubt that the path appointed for us by when and where to whom we were born is good and that nothing irredeemable has happened to us or can happen to us on our way to our destiny in God's full world. That's right. Nothing irredeemable has happened to you. Nothing irredeemable has been done by you. There is no sin that the glory of God cannot handle. There is no shame that the blood of Jesus cannot cover. And scripture promises us that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and to cleanse us of unrighteousness. You are not irredeemable. You are not a lost cause. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word over you. I can't think of a time where the truth of Jesus as Savior has felt more urgent, more pressing, that we need him. To save us individually from ourselves every day <laughs> we need him to save us corporately we need him to save our world we need him to save the church again and there's seasons in my life where if I'm being honest my prayer does not go much further than I need you Jesus to save me again from myself From my sin, I need you to save others. From myself, from my sin. There are times, and quite recently, if I'm being honest, in which I can't get past praying that psalm, Why art thou cast down within me, O my soul? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. I may not be in a season of praise right now, but I shall yet. Yes. Praise Him who is the health of my countenance. And my God, there are times in which my prayer life, I promise you, it doesn't get any further than that. And if you find yourself to be somewhere similar today, I just want to encourage you to not be discouraged. And this is the word today. This is the word for today. That if you find yourself to be in an oppressed season, a depressed season, I just want to encourage you to not be discouraged because... All it takes is a word. All it takes is a word from the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've walked in this sanctuary or one like it. And I've had my head hanging low. And I've been unable to lift my hands. Had heavy hands. Had a heavy heart. Sometimes inexplicably. I don't know why. I'm just feeling fearful. Dealing with underlying anxieties and insecurities other times I do know why I'm wrestling with sin I'm struggling with my flesh but I come in here and unbeknownst to me there is a word there is a crumb on the master's table that has my name on it and that crumb it falls from that table and it feeds my soul for that next season and that crumb it divides it multiplies And it becomes another crumb. It becomes another word. And I live on that next word. And then I live on the word. After that, there's something about the word of God. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. It's happened to you too. There's something about the word of God today. Jesus looked at the disciples after he had had other disciples of his depart from him. He had said hard things that they weren't able to stomach. And he looked at his disciples and he said, will you depart from me also? To which Peter replied, Master, where can we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. To Jeremiah, it was like fire. Shut up in his bones. To the psalmist, it was the light. To his feet, it was the lamp that guided him in his path. There's something about the word of God. To Job, it was his necessary Bread. He desired it more than he desired food. There is something about getting a hold of the word of God to those two men who walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They didn't even know they were speaking to Jesus. Jesus had veiled himself. But when they found out later that it was Jesus that they were speaking to, they said, surely our hearts did burn within us as he opened unto us the scripture. Come on. If you're hanging low today, if your feet are heavy, just get a hold of the word of God. It may be one word. It might be a phrase. It might be a verse. It might be a song. It doesn't even have to come across this pulpit. It can be in the vestibule. It can be somebody shaking your hand, just encouraging you, Brother Bonnie. Telling you, God is faithful. And it becomes enough. It gets you through. Musicians, if you would come, let's stand. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, would you just reach out to the Lord? Jesus name, Jesus name, your word is enough, Lord. Your word is enough today, Lord. Your word is sufficient, Jesus name, I glorify your word, Lord. You are the word, Lord. You are the word incarnate, Lord. Jesus is enough today. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, your word is enough. Hope in your word, Lord. I hope in your word. Your word is my anchor. Hallelujah! 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 Your word, Hallelujah, is enough. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. When your words aren't enough, His word is enough. If you read this passage in its entirety, you'll notice that the woman in the city who was a sinner, she doesn't say a word, she doesn't have any lines in the script and yet Jesus he speaks over her and he says thy faith hath saved thee go in peace true repentance issues from the heart and into the life it can manifest in the words we say but its source is in the secret place of the soul and that is where God looks that is where God is And more than a demonstration of worship, what Jesus wants is the heart from which it flows. And all throughout Scripture, you see God looking on the heart. Not looking on man's stature, but looking on the heart. Joel 2.13, if you could pull that up, Brother Jordan. Rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger, and he is of great kindness, and he repenteth him of the evil. Listen, if you don't know how to be with the Lord, if you don't know how to be here today, if you don't know how to present yourself, that's okay. You don't have to know how to present yourself when it comes to the Lord. He's quite aware of who you are already. And so leave the pretense at the door seek Jesus from your heart and you'll find his because he wants your heart he wants to make you new sacrament must never be confused with sacrifice we can have an external commotion all day but it cannot be replaced or it cannot replace an internal commitment the sacrifices of God they're a broken spirit A broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise. Amen, would you just lift your hand right where you're at and just be before the Lord and let him speak a word over you because his word is sufficient, his word is enough. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that your word would rest on us today, God, that we would stand on your word and that we would walk away, Lord, justified by your word. Not by our own words, Lord, but by your word, by your hand, God. Amen. These altars are open. If you want to pray right where you're at, feel free to pray right where you're at. Lord, that we would seek you in sincerity and truth. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. In the name of the Lord, in the name